This is Konzenshu, the podcast, episode 440, for the week of April 22nd, 2018. Hello, welcome to Konzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Boy podcast. Wait, website. I see, I said the wrong thing and I screwed up. Ah! <laughs> What's the name of the website? Konzenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Boy all in hopes of lighting and a little bit of entertaining. Good job, Mike. Yeah, I'm not doing so hot today. My name is Mike uh, Fujito EX, but also just Mike. Joining me it is the man himself, Julian. Hello. Yes, thank you. You don't need to clap for me. Oh, I am excited. We have been, uh, you and I, actually, it's been uh, like old times. It's just you and I plugging away at sections and like we're just yeah. springing it on people. The other day I messaged Heath. I'm like, hey, look what we've been doing. It's like, oh my God, where'd this come from? Uh, I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> Isn't so, he the administrator? Well, no, him and I, we, we co-own, we co-administrate. Oh, fair enough. You think he noticed when, when uh, stuff pops up on the <laughs> when site? New pages, though, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when the, when they're private pages, it doesn't automatically show up in the log. So you have to go digging for it. So that's so how we're able to hide uh-huh. things from each other. We are kicking off a two-part podcast series. Uh, you're listening to the first part right here. I don't know when the second part will be. It'll probably be in the very near future. We are digging back pre- Dragon Ball. Now, we've done stuff like this before. Uh, we've talked about things uh, like Dr. Slump, how that influenced and transformed into Dragon Ball. I am shocked in the, what, 12 years that we've been doing this podcast and looking through uh, the guides and the interviews on the website, uh, we, we've barely scratched the surface of talking about the prototypes that became Dragon Ball, separate from Dr. Slump. And most specifically, we're talking about Dragon Boy and the adventure of Tong Pu. We have really not ever gone in any kind of depth with it. And uh, I happened to be rereading them and said, oh, we should, uh, oh, God, there's nothing on the website about these other than some offhand comments and some interviews. And well, I decided to... Hmm build out a section and recruited Julian in to help do the the final proofreading and fact checking on things. And as we're looking at it, we're going, this is also a podcast topic. Uh, You know, obviously we'll, we'll document the stuff on the website, but I think there are cool opinions we can get into as well. So uh, the first part here, we're going to talk a little bit about Dr. Slump again, way back. I say way back. It was only six years ago on episode 288 of the podcast. uh, Jake and I did, we called it a Dr. Slump primer. We talked about about some of the characters in Dr. Slump that appeared in Dragon Ball itself, and that was in service of some other stuff that was going on. Uh, so we're not going to necessarily talk about the characters, Julian. We'll talk about some of these okay. story ideas and the concepts and some of the things that Toriyama's kind of got percolating there that'll show up a little later on. And then we're going to talk Dragon Boy in depth. We'll save, like I said, Tong Pu and Dragon Ball drafts for uh, the next time here on the episode. That is our podcast. I am very excited for it. Uh, I've been enjoying my I work on this section so much. Uh, so the way it's going to work is we'll do the first part of the podcast here. Uh, in the very near future, you'll get the second part of the podcast series. And then when that episode goes up, all of the uh, the manga guide pages will go up to accompany that. All right. That is our plan here. So without further ado, Mike and Julian chatting up Dragon Boy. Let's get into it. So again, we, we talked a little bit about Dr. Slump in the past on the Primer episode. I don't necessarily want to talk about characters. If you don't know who a Raleigh is, I feel like you have bigger issues at play here. Maybe you need to go back to Volume 1 of Dr. Slump and start there. Uh, let's dive forward in time a little bit into Dr. Slump. Toriyama introduced 
tournaments in Dr. Slump. Yes. So he, he has a number of tournament type episodes. As the story goes on, Toriyama gets into doing more and more multi-part stories in Dr. Slump. And uh, some of it involves his love of cars and racing. So you get these Penguin Grand Prix uh, racing things. But eventually we also have some uh, actual fighting tournaments. And that happens to be the Sekaiichi Tsuid no Dareda Taikai, which is the Who's the Strongest in the World tournament. That sounds very familiar. Yep. It does. What's so fascinating here is that, yeah, he's starting to do tournaments and longer, I say longer arcs. What the Longest is what, like five chapters in Dr. Slump? Yeah, like that, five or six chapters, yeah. They're, they're not long. Uh, it's fascinating to me that he's starting to do tournaments here, and that's not something that he's going to do at the very beginning of Dragon Ball. That's kind of like a, a reactionary thing when we get to Dragon Ball. Right. And it's very much, um, he talks about it in some interviews, is the reason he started doing longer stories is he got strapped for ideas and coming up with a punchline for every single comic for him was very exhausting. So he mm. thought, hey, I can have it go on for more so I don't have to think up one every single week. Right. Uh, but then into, into Dragon Ball, he decided to just go... Uh, go in the whole hog and actually have a continuing story that right. just uh, carried on from week to week. So tournaments are a big thing. Uh, I feel like one of the most overlooked people, you, you got to go back and you got to read Dr. Slump. There's an evil scientist with a series of numbered robots and he himself is one of them. Yep. Actually twice by mistake. <laughs> 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 yeah, because the author screwed up the naming and a fan points it out and so he just goes ahead and changes numbering. So Dr. Mashirito is an evil mad scientist who wants to take over the world using his robots. Um, he also happens to be a caricature of the author's editor at the time, uh, Kazuhiko Torishima, who went on to become the like biggest of the bigwigs at Shueisha. But mm -hmm. at this time, he was just a, an editor in uh, Weekly Shonen Jump. And so... Um, yeah, he, he basically managed to sneak it in by um, sending in the manuscript at the last minute so it couldn't be changed. And then they stuck with it because um, the fans liked it. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, it's a great way to introduce uh, more characters. We get a, a regular character out of it, too. Yeah, that's true. And he's the closest thing that the series really has to an antagonist. Um, but yeah, it starts out with just like simple robots, definitely inspired by like 1960s anime, which the author would watch as a kid. Right. read as manga. And then um, as it goes on, he creates like this sentient equivalent to Arare, who becomes a member of the main cast. You get Obochaman or Caramel Man number five. I, I can't remember the number. <laughs> right around there. And it was his name was actually chosen uh, as part of a contest, I believe, um, by fans. And uh, once his name was set, it stuck. And uh, he became um, uh, like an integral part of the cast. Yeah. And uh, in the future, glimpsed later in the series, he and Arare are basically robot married with a robot baby. <laughs> I love it. Don't don't ask me how that works. <laughs> well, it well, just does. I guess we can talk about that in Dragon Well, no, they're actual real robots. Uh, yep. They, anyway. they are robot robots. <laughs> real robots. Uh, and then I, I feel like I always want to mention this because it's just such a, a cool parallel. One of the final villains in Dr. Slump is a Majin. Yeah. And it's interesting and in that I don't think Toriyama planned this at all. No. But there's a series of stories. Well, it's like what? Like four or five parts. Basically, uh, the fr the princess of uh, this faraway kingdom, vaguely Middle Eastern-ish, runs away because uh, the another kingdom is trying to take it over, uh, and she escapes to Penguin Village, where she happens to be a dead ringer for Akane, one of Arare's 
friends. Yeah, so I, I associates. Has. Yeah. Yeah. What one of the main group. And um so Akane gets kidnapped by the bad guy and stuff happens. Um Tsukutsun, who's Akane's more or less boyfriend, uh flies into a rage and as the uh, bad guy's um sort of trump card he brings out a teapot which reveals a genie and there's biting and fighting and the world gets destroyed don't worry <laughs> it comes right back yeah it, there's a lot of parallels there yeah. and the funny thing is i don't think the author even thought about it when he was doing the boo arc just something that he happens to have somewhere in there that got pulled out more than once right i feel like uh, we're gonna come back to that over and over where it's is he necessarily kind of pulling from himself intentionally or are these just ideas that he has and he will reuse? And we'll, we'll see that directly in some of these prototypes we're going to talk about where right. if, if it's not just the same situation, it, it may even be the exact same framing within a panel. Right. Uh, and, and for Toriyama specifically, I'm so curious if it's intentional or if it's just he's just on another plane of existence and the things just happen to be drawn that way and even he doesn't know where they come from sometimes and it's worth pointing out the two that he has intentionally reused things in the past he was very fond of photocopying and reusing panels right he'll call out himself on it when he does it though well there's like the time in the 22nd tenkaichi budokai where mysteriously lunch and bulma and and uh, puar are back in the audience after they left with yamcha Right. And there's an uh there's several parts where you see an overhead view of God's palace where a young Goku is clearly standing there in spite <laughs> of the fact that he is now an adult and not in the scene. Right. Because they reused that panel from way back in the Piccolo arc. Right, without um, doing anything to it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and there's a point where he calls it out specifically in the Boo arc with the fusion dance in particular. But yeah, so he is not immune to doing that. And plenty of Jump authors basically reuse their concepts from one shots oh, yeah. to do the as as a basically a pilot of of their main series. In fact, uh, an interesting case is with uh, Eiichiro Oda in two separate one shots, both called Romance Dawn, which right. is also the title of the first chapter of One Piece. So the the first version is is basically the the flash scenes play out much like the first chapter where you have Shanks and he loses his arm. I'm, I hope I'm not spoiling anybody here. Uh, <laughs> but then the second version introduces this wrinkle where instead of Shanks, we actually have Luffy's grandfather play this this role as a sort of stern parental figure. And um, people thought that was just a bit of misdirection because the series itself would not be following too far behind. But lo and behold, years upon years later, the character was reintroduced into the main series and pretty much with no characters to, or with no changes to his, his personality. So that's pretty funny. But um, And we're going to see that exact same kind of thing go on here. So uh, let's leave Slump behind a, a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on it here and there with some of these points. Um, but we're, we're still in the time period of Dr. Slump. I mean, you you may think of, okay, Toriyama went from Dr. Slump to doing his test prototype series to then Dragon Ball. That's not actually how it happened. Uh, you, you look at the, the one-shots Toriyama had been doing for a while. I mean, he was, I don't want to say prolific, but kind of prolific for a while yeah. in the 80s there. Uh, he was cranking out the one-shots, whether they were part of a contest or just him just doing a one-shot for something. Uh, he seemed like he always had something going on. Then when we get to Dragon yeah. Ball, he kind of stops doing all that. Yeah, and it seems like it was part of a broader trend that at first they had the jump authors doing a lot of side stuff. And then that sort of, sort of worked its way down. So let's talk about where we are in 
the history of Toriyama here. When Dragon Boy debuts in Fresh Jump, which we'll talk about momentarily, uh, we are in June 1983. And at this point, Toriyama's at just about chapter 176 in Dr. Slump. Um, that's in the 1983 number 29 issue of Weekly Shonen Jump. At this point, he's going to be wrapping up the following August. So a little more than a year from this point uh, with chapter okay. 236. So he's still got another year in Dr. Slump. But at this point, he's already starting looking ahead to what he wants to do next. So before we talk about Dragon Boy itself, Julian, I guess kind of set the stage. What are the conversations Toriyama's having with Torishima right now? So um, Toriyama at this point is kind of sick and tired of doing Dr. Slump. He's frustrated with coming up with more comedic ideas, and while he's maybe not showing it apart from doing more continuing stories in the manga, he's like ready to do something else and he wants to end it, but the only thing is, Torishima doesn't want to let him end it, because after all, Dr. Slump is very popular. But he hears uh, from elsewhere that Toriyama happens to be a big fan of kung fu movies. So he says, well, why don't you try doing like a kung fu one shot? We'll see how it turns out. And Toriyama was initially against this because after all, the things you like and the things that you can draw are not necessarily one and the same. Right. And it's, and it's more work. So right? <laughs> he doesn't want to do that. On top of his serialization. Right. But... He ends up going with it because, after all, it's his editor, and basically the editor's decision is more or less final. And it actually got a decent response. So that brings us to Dragon Boy. Now, this debuts, uh, it's in two issues of, what was Fresh Jump? So Fresh Jump was an... A uh, magazine they introduced back in, I think, 1982 to um, sort of give a venue for like new authors and basically fresh talent, hence the name, to show off um, one shots and new stories. And eventually it gains some bigger names. And I think um, Toriyama's former assistant, um, Hisashi Tanaka, eventually had a series that went on in there. Um, but Toriyama himself was no stranger to the magazine. He was in, if not the first issue, then like one of the first two issues with Pink. Mm. in 1982. So going on, um, it seemed to be ramping up the publication because it started out bi-monthly, but actually in between the publication of the two Dragon Boy chapters, it went monthly. I feel like it's history just continues to repeat itself. Uh, an equivalent today would be Psycho Jump, which started as a quarterly publication and then moved to monthly and then went to bi-monthly. Like they're, they're always... Yeah introducing reintroducing uh rebranding magazines uh there was a oh, yeah. monthly shonen jump for a while uh some of the nekomajin was published in there so this yep. was just another of shueisha's magazines at the time that served some kind of purpose so there's this constant cycle of things and their seasonal bonus issues keep getting rebranded i forget what it is now it's like jump next or i don't know that might have been the previous version all right so let's just get into dragon boy now again we are talking about the august 1983 issue of fresh jump this this is uh, June 23rd, 1983. Toriyama debuts the first chapter of Dragon Boy. So we're going to do this kind of old school manga review of awesomeness style where I'll give you a rundown of the chapter. They're not long. <laughs> and then we'll nope. talk about them a little bit and we'll, we'll talk about the legacy here. So we get into Dragon Boy with a young boy. This is Tang Tong. We'll talk about all the names and pronunciations and Julian can correct everything I say later on. He's training alone out in the mountains when his master arrives on a flying cloud. The master throws a bunch of kunai, which Tang Tong is mostly able to dodge. He throws several in response, eager to learn more, and the master manages to swipe away all but one, which lands squarely in his forehead. Anyway, it turns out the master has a job for him. He is to accompany the princess of the flower 
country who ran away two years ago to escape war, and he needs to bring her back to her homeland now that there is peace. So Tang Tong is excited to finally see a girl and pokes at her chest to confirm their soft bodies. The princess, however, is not so sure about this boy. Now, the master hands Tang Tong a dragon jewel. If he is in trouble, he is to place it on the ground, infuse it with his key, and a dragon will appear. Finally, the master advises him not to show his back to anyone. So Tang Tong and the princess take off on a motorbike. The princess takes over driving at one point, but she can't handle the speed. Now, when they hit some mountains, they are forced to get off and walk the rest of the way. This is quite a significant journey for them. The princess eventually wants to take a bath, so they stop at a river. It is here that he truly sees a girl for the first time. This is where he's starting to piece it all together in his head. Like, oh, boys, girls, got it. The princess asks if he has a family, but he says that he is a monster that was abandoned when he was small and that his master is the one who always takes care of him. As they continue their journey, the princess decides she needs water. The two stop at a temple, and as they pull some water up from a well, Teng Tong feels some kind of key emanating from it. A large water demon is pulled up and attacks them. He offers to let Teng Tong go if he hands over the princess, but he refuses and jump kicks the demon in the face, but it barely even reacts to this. Teng Tong is able to dodge the demon's attacks, but he's not going to be able to hurt him with such a hard body. He takes out the dragon jewel and fires his key at it. Only for a tiny, completely useless little dragon to poof out of it. Cursing his master, Tang Tong decides what he must do, even if the princess hates him for it. He takes off his shirt, revealing dragon wings. He flies into the sky and dive bombs the demon right in the face, soundly knocking him out. As Tang Tong flies off carrying the princess, she sternly asks why he did not say he had wings earlier. They could have been flying this whole time. The flower country is still very, very far away. And that is the first chapter of Dragon Boy. We will move on to the second and final chapter of Dragon Boy. Now, Julian, uh, explain one yes. more time. So this is the October 1983 issue. So this is in September. So we've moved from June to September. What has the magazine done in the meantime? It's gone monthly. It's gone from bi-monthly to monthly in the meantime. Yes. Got it. And so now the post dated by a month rather than two months. Got it. Yep. Now, when you look up the dates, it's the same thing like when we deal with V-Jump now, where it's 21st of the month, but it's two months ahead. It's <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> the, a pain. It's a pain in the butt. So chapter two of Dragon Boy, Tang Tong continues flying toward the flower kingdom, sleeping princess in tow. The two stop for a bite to eat. They are only a tenth of the way there, and Tang Tong needs to get his strength back with a little grub. He brought two rice balls that his master provided, but the princess is not interested. She wants soup instead. Behind the bushes, ears pop out. Tang Tong turns at the rustling sound and finds a polite young man who introduces himself as Ping Yao, who is on a journey of his own toward Mount Tinghao. Tang Tong asks where Ping Yao's bags are. After all, he is a traveler and should probably have something with him. Uh, no, some thieves stole it or something. Uh, anyway, uh, you have a rice ball. Can I have that to eat, please? I have not eaten in a day. The princess screams for Tang Tong to give up his rice ball, even though she never wanted to eat hers in the first place, but he already ate his, so the princess is forced to hand over hers anyway. Tang Tong thinks to himself that this Ping Yao has a demonic key and must not be human. As soon as he gets the rice ball, he poofs back to his actual form, a sort of blobby, weird floating cat circle thing. <laughs> Tang Tong is angry over this trick and starts to walk over to beat him up, but 
Ping Yao turns into a rock to protect himself. Tang Tong smiles, points to a similar rock beside them, and proceeds to smash it to smithereens with a single punch. At this point, Ping Yao turns back to normal and runs away, apologizing for his actions. The princess asks Tang Tong why he didn't do more to punish him, but it was just a rice ball after all, and they have to get moving again anyway. The two next come across a giant bridge. The princess wants them to fly across, but she'll settle for being carried across. They notice a large castle in the distance when Ping Yao suddenly rushes into to warn them of impending doom. Ping Yao is actually 250 years old and tells them about a monster that took up residence here about a hundred years ago and attacks anyone who tries to cross the bridge. Tang Tong is not worried and insists that he'll just beat up any bad guys that they come across. It's just then that the large monster rushes in and smacks Tang Tong over the head with a staff. As the princess pees her pants and Tang Tong continues to be assaulted, Ping Yao yells out that this is the machine soldier from Heyun. Tang Tong notices how the machine appears to be rather damaged. For the last hundred years, it has probably been following its programming to protect the castle. He manages to get a few flips and attacks in, but nothing is getting through to the machine, so he instead tries to reason with it. The princess is not helping at all, interrupting to ask that he not spill the beans about her little accident in her pants down there. Distracted, Tang Tong gets knocked off the bridge. Here, Ping Yao panics, and as the machine raises its hands to attack the princess, it's at this point that Tang Tong bursts from the river, wings outstretched, and knocks the machine over. This doesn't seem to be enough, though. He's gonna have to keep fighting. A voice suddenly shouts for them to stop. A soldier has arrived, telling the machine that it has protected the castle well, but it can rest now. With a tear dropping from its eye, the machine thanks the soldier and shuts down. Finally safe, the soldier poofs back to reveal that it was Ping Yao. The princess, still completely oblivious to their situation, figures she can avoid embarrassment after ruining her clothes by having Ping Yao transform into a new set of clothes. While they manage to make it to the castle, Ping Yao suddenly transforms back to normal though, leaving the princess completely naked. Like Ultraman, he can only transform for three minutes at a time. As Dragon Boy comes to a close in its second and final chapter, the flower country is still very, very far away. Julian, that is Dragon Boy. Uh, you, you, you read this, you listen to this description. It is undeniably Dragon Ball in uh, its purest form here, isn't it? Yes. So we don't have the conceit of the Dragon Balls themselves, but the idea of going on a journey, uh, this boy acting as the makeshift uh, bodyguard slash chauffeur of right. uh, the female character, who in many respects has the more selfish aspects uh, of uh, Bulma in her earlier years and sometimes in her later years. And then you also have some of these uh, characters that are very similar in idea to uh, other characters that come out in Dragon Ball. The water demon has maybe some shades of the bear bandit that they meet in Dragon Ball. Mm -hmm. And of course, Ping Yao shares aspects of both Oolong and Puar. Uh, also, the old master, you throw everyone side by side here. It's crazy. Uh, this one actually comes first, the master here, uh, the old master with a staff on a flying cloud. Shortly after this, we're going to get God in Dr. Slump uh, with a staff uh, on his own kind of like spaceshipy kind of floating thing. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> good enough. And then we will get to the turtle hermit himself in Dragon Ball uh, with the staff and that can command a flying cloud that he himself cannot use. Uh, use anymore 
anyway. Uh, right. But when you look at them side by side, it, it's a clear evolution of, all right, I'm going to take this design, I'm going to change it here, but then I'm going to take both elements and turn it into this character over here. Uh, and just some of the exact situations that we have, uh, the the kunai being in the forehead, it's it's like the exact same pose as we'll get after Chi-Chi throws her helmet at Kami-san in there. Uh, everything about learning what girls are and the situations uh, as we get to Tongpu later, we'll, we'll have a bathtub situation that's a little closer to what Dragon Ball will be. But even here in Dragon Ball, it's a similar thing, just the bathing and trying to figure out <laughs> what all the body parts are, all that kind of thing. Oh boy. Uh, her hanging over the side of the cliff, it, it's very similar to Bulma herself getting, uh, she's hanging off Noibo there uh, in Dragon Ball. I mean, everything here, just like this Chinese-inspired locales going on a journey. Like you said, we've got the protagonist who's a bodyguard. He's got to accompany this girl. Master is there. Uh, they have something that they're specifically doing like it is dragon ball so distilled so let's talk a little bit more specifically uh about the first chapter here uh maybe you can talk about some of the names here uh so yes. so ting tong uh if you read the furigana traditionally in uh, english language fandom it was written out as t-a-n-t-o-n uh what's the name here uh so it's it's written in chinese characters with uh an approximate japanese pronunciation that's sort of going off of Chinese. So in Chinese, uh, I guess you could say Tang is uh, the word used for the Tang dynasty and it is also um, by extrapolation also used to refer to China in general. And then uh, Tong is literally boy or boy servant in, in uh, even earlier meaning. So literally it's basically just Tang boy or China boy. The setting is Ursat's China, and he's a boy. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess by extension, there we can talk about the title of the the series itself. It's one of those things where it's uh it's written with furigana that is different from the normal reading. I guess you would have of the kanji. What's the the title here? So literally, it's Kiryu Shonen, something like Riding Dragon Boy or something to that effect like chauffeur dragon boy basically i think that was that would be how i had interpreted it but the furigana tells you no pronounce this as dragon boy so it's one of those things that you often get in japanese where the pronunciation often tells you a specific way of reading it that's at odds with the normal way that you would pronounce the chinese characters well let's go into some of the other characters uh the master here go roshisama so go is just like literally a, a way of showing respect and so go roshisama is like elder master and it happens to be the same Roshi as we encounter in Muten Roshi, the master who is the god of martial arts or just the venerable old master. Mm -hmm. So it's not a given name. It's a title, very much like for the turtle hermit himself. We have a princess who doesn't have a name. She's just the, the princess of the flower country. Yes. So she's Kanokuni no Hime-sama. So Ka no Kuni, literally the flower country, but the, the word for flower that they use is the same one that's normally used within China and also in constructions like um, chu kariori, so Chinese food, to indicate China itself because it's like the, the flower of culture compared mm. to the what China for a long time viewed as the barbarian countries around it. Gotcha. Um, so basically a way of saying China without saying China. So this is really Toriyama just consistently doubling down like, eh, eh, it's China. Get it? It's China. Yep. <laughs> right. So the the only other character in the the first chapter here is the water demon. So he, he, he literally refers to himself as Suijaki, which is 
water demon. So uh, I, there are items here, uh, two in particular. Uh, one I, I think is most notable because if you go by old scanlations, you would be led to believe this was in fact called a Dragon Ball. But that's not really what it's called. Yes. Uh, so the pronunciation given by the furigana is Dompao, and it uses the Japanese simplified character for dragon along with um, the one for treasure, which I would translate as dragon jewel. And uh, it is shaped like a ball, and it contains a dragon, right. so... You can see why people would be confused. And then the water demon has a weapon, but it's, I know that it's just because there's not much to it. So I figure if there's anything in here, we should probably mention it. Uh, it's yep. a pretty traditional Chinese polearm. Yes. It's called a guantao, which is uh yeah, it's a polearm. And it's got the little tassel on the, on the blade, which is a traditional thing right. that they do. Maybe the only other thing we can talk about with the first chapter, that's kind of a, like a sighted thing. Uh, we... Julian, you have uh, Toriyama's comments from these particular issues. So his issue from this copy, or this copy, yeah, let me start again. His comment from this issue of Fresh Jump says the following. Star Wars mita ato kangeki no amari Star Wars pramo yamahodo katte shimatta zo. Which means, after I saw Star Wars, I was so deeply moved that I ended up buying a mountain's worth of Star Wars model kits. That sure sounds like Toriyama. And model stuff, yep. buying it all. Yep. And um, indeed, there's another um, another magazine with um, like a look at his, um, his workroom in, around this time where he's wearing an Admiral Akbar mask. Anyway, uh, but he is referring specifically to Return of the Jedi, which came out... In July of 1983, now this might sound strange since the chapter itself came out in June 1983, but he mentions in uh, another issue of Weekly Shonen Jump that he actually saw a special sneak preview, which is why he got to see it early. Uh -huh. um, now, the other thing to note about this movie is that its title was actually Revenge of the Jedi in Japan, much as the working title of the movie was in English, and it wasn't called Return of the Jedi until the DVD release in 2004 which is relatively recently. <laughs> 2004 does feel like yesterday. Only a year before we started the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good times. So let's move on to uh, chapter two a little bit. Uh, some of the other connections uh, and references, much more obvious uh, that he's going to be pulling from here. Uh, Ping Yao in uh, appearance is everything that Oolong is doing. And then when he transforms back, it's Poor, pretty much as is, just a little more blobby. Pretty much. But on the other hand, some of his attitude and especially the limitations on his powers are more in the way of Oolong, especially the way he's introduced, mm -hmm. where he disguises himself as something else to try and trick the main characters. Right, right. But we should note, however, that um, the character of Oolong is also based on a character from Journey to the West. So he's actually pulling from that for both of these. Mm -hmm. It's just that the Journey to the West um, reference is more obvious in Dragon Ball itself. Right. And Journey to the West, I mean, uh, part of their powers are transformations. So like some sometimes he's pulling from source material and sometimes he's pulling from himself and sometimes both at the same time. Ping Yao's name. Yes. So it's two uh, Chinese characters, the first one being a simplified form. But literally the meaning is something like apple demon or apple ghoul. Uh, uh, it's yeah. kind of like shaped like an apple. Is that what you think it is? Maybe, although it's kind of hard to tell. He's Maybe just he just a blob. like the ring to it. Yeah, he's just a blob. I really like the idea of introducing himself like, hi, hi my name is Demon. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Okay, that's not that's not super obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he's going to some mountain which may or may not exist. Yes. So again, it uses uh, simplified Chinese characters, but it's, it's written with furigana that indicate a pronunciation of Qinghao, or in, in Japanese, which would be 
King Hao, which literally would be with the word mountain, and with it, it would be like Mount sounds good. My reading there, and again, this is like three languages removed, is that saying, oh, yeah, sure, that, that sounds like a good name for a mountain. Is that it, or is there a, a more literal meaning to it? I, I have really no idea. Maybe he, he wants to go there because it sounds good. Because it sounds good. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Who knows? But that's, that's what it was named. So, Heyun, uh, where are we here? Uh, so it's written with two characters with the uh, Japanese approximation of Hayun. In Chinese, <laughs> Hayun would mean something like river transport. It's the country of water is how it's glossed in Japanese. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, I'm, I'm assuming they, they made their fortunes by transporting things by water. That makes sense. The most important character here is uh, the robot. I think in the span of this one chapter, I feel like we, we get a really good arc to this unfortunate robot. I, you feel bad for the robot who's been protecting yeah. this castle, this bridge for a hundred years. It's programming. Everyone is gone and no one has been able to tell him the war is over. There's nothing to protect anymore. Which I feel like is also um, maybe maybe pulled from an old Star Trek episode with similar things like the, the robots of the protector of the planet, but the people that they were intended to protect mm-hmm. are all gone. Yeah. I feel like I've seen this a million times in various sci-fi things, but yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. And, uh, but people probably may not get wrapped up to into it because they're, too busy going, hey, it's the pirate robot. <laughs> right. So we have to talk about the design. This is something that we see a million times. Uh, we see it here. We're going to see it in Tong Pu. We're going to see it a couple times in Dragon Ball. And it's he's basically drawing the xenomorph species from Alien. Yep. And it's, it's something that he definitely likes because it reappears over and over again. Of course, you see it in Dragon Ball, not only with the pirate robot, with Frieza's third form. I mean, the pirate robot's the most obvious one because it's another robot with that same head design. Yes, but he definitely uses it more than once in Dr. Slump. I think even he draws himself as a xenomorph. <laughs> that's great. At one, at one point, that's just Toriyama for you. And then the other, and this one's actually named for what it is, kind of real life, real other media reference, uh, Ultraman. Yes. So Ultraman being a cultural icon in Japan, first broadcasting in the 1960s and being a part of Toriyama's childhood and many other childhoods since um, it just keeps getting reinvented, is referenced here in that Ping Yao can only transform for three minutes. And if that sounds familiar, it's because also Oolong can only transform for five minutes, right? which is a different amount of time, but it's interesting that he pulled it from there. And um, Ultraman is something that gets repeatedly referenced in uh, in Dr. Slump especially, but it even gets a few sly references in Dragon Ball. Oh, yeah. There's w- what we like to call Ultra Fish, mm. which is in like the seventh or eighth chapter of Dragon Ball. They're boating down the river, and there's a, a fish that pops up with the face of Ultraman, and it goes, schwatch. In terms of Dr. Slump, I mean, the most obvious thing I can think of, it, it's relatively early in the series. Was it like chapter 22? Arale. <laughs> yeah. She's having, what, what is the contest she's having? Is it like they're trying to scare each other? It's something, um, I haven't read this in a while. This, the story of Dombe, who is having like this thing with Arale where they're both trying to surprise each other. Get some kind and, of reaction, yeah. But at this point, she shows up dressed as Ultraman going, Schwatch. <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? Look, the sun's already setting. Ultraman is one of those things that Toriyama is uh, aware of and isn't afraid to just name by name <laughs> in whatever he's right. doing. Julian, uh, again, like we had uh, his author comment from chapter one. We have his author comment from chapter two. This one is very brief and very to the point and says everything we need to know about what he's doing here. <clears throat> and he says, 
奥さんが山ほどの中国の資料を持っているのですごく参考になってます。Which is,、um, my wife has a mountain of materials on China, which is really coming in handy. <laughs> It、uh, sure so, is. Yes. So his, his wife is、uh, Yoshimi, whose、uh, maiden name is Kato. But her, her pen name is Nachi Mikami. She was a, a modestly popular shoujo、uh, cartoonist back、uh, when she got married to Toriyama in 1982. And、uh, she, quote unquote, retired then to become uh, uh, basically a homemaker and also Toriyama's sometime assistant. And uh, definitely uh, her interest in China seems to have rubbed up quite a bit、yeah. on Toriyama、sure. over, over time. I mean, they even visited China in 1984.、Uh, that brings Dragon Boy to a close, just those two chapters. So、uh, we have a couple other things we can talk about, but let's talk about it as a story.、Uh, I mean, we mentioned what's going to be reused in Dragon Ball, but independent from that, Dragon Ball doesn't exist at this point. It, it's so hard, but let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of someone in Japan in 1983. Probably familiar with Dr. Slump, checking out some of Toriyama's one shots over the years. We get to this. Do you look at this and do you see a future here? What do you think? Well, I, I feel like with the open ended story, this would be something that I'd be kind of curious to see where it goes. And as a fan, I might even be slightly disappointed that he abandons this and goes with Dragon Ball instead. <laughs> just、right. because I don't know where that's going. It's like, but, <laughs> but you just did this other thing that I wanted to see continued. Right. I mean, we get the two chapters. I mean, for all you know, you're sitting around waiting for chapter three. And in, instead, you, over in Weekly Shonen Jump, you're going to get Tong Poo. And you're like, wait a minute. I, I just read basically this kind of story. And then shortly after that, you're going to get Dragon Ball. I, I mean, it's like, I've, I've read the same thing from you three times in a row. Can you just pick a story and just Tell the story, please. Right. And, and that's something that actually happens a lot. I mean, I, re I referenced Eiichiro、uh, Oda, but、right. that's far from unique. No, of course. I mean, you, you have、uh, pilot stories for、uh, things like Devil Lady. Devil Lady, is that correct? No, I'm thinking of something else. Not Devil Lady. What, what's the name of, of、uh, Katsura's work? Devil Man Lady? Shadow Lady. No, no, that's on, Shadow Lady. There we go. I think those are all separate series. <laughs> Shadow Lady is the one that I mean.、Um, Shadow Lady,、um, there was a series in, in the early 90s by, actually drawn by the same artist for things like Death Note and Hikaru no Go, but under his previous pen name.、Mm, yeah, yeah. Takeshi Obata? Is that, oh, yeah, yeah. Does yeah, that yeah. sound right? Yep. Um, but he wrote about us, an old guy who was a cyborg. And that was introduced as a one shot and then expanded upon as a series. And you get the same thing with even things like、uh, up to the present day, like My Hero Academia.、Um, started out with a very different story, but a very similar main character who has no special powers,、mm. but who happens to be an adult as a salary man、right. instead of a, an aspiring hero. But so you see this over and over again. They use these other magazines as sort of、um, ways for them to spitball ideas. Yeah. For new things. And, and they'll basically see what sticks. Whatever, you know, this got a decent response. Maybe I'll try developing this further into an actual series. It's interesting because it's, it's a public spitballing. It's very different from, all right, come up with a, a story for me and pitch it to me and I'll see if I like it and maybe we'll make it. But this is, no, we're going to publish it and we'll see what kind of reaction it gets. So it's, it's very much a different process from a lot of these things, but it, it comes up again and again with these side magazines. Yeah. That it's a, a time honored practice for Shueisha. What do you think about the artwork in the two chapters of Dragon Boy?、Uh, it's, it's very much a Dr. Slump era. That, I mean, I feel like Toriyama, every year or two, you can say, yes, that is 1983 Toriyama. Yes, that is 1989 Toriyama.、Uh, it feels、yes. like it, but I feel like he's definitely showing where he's going to be going in the future. There's a lot of good gag reactions. 
Titans, which obviously he's got a lot of familiarity with. Uh, in terms yes. of action shots, I mean, there's a couple. There's like he's he's punching the rocks to show off. That's pretty neat. That's got a, a good flow to it. Um, him right. flying in. Uh, to hit off the bridge, I and mean, that's pretty good too. That's a that's a good angle to it, where you really feel the reaction of him flying through and kind of tripping the robot there. Yes, and and Toriyama mentions, especially early on, that while he enjoyed the compositions, he always felt that they were a bit stiff, mm. more like illustrations. Than I can see that action. Yeah, yeah. So as he goes on, I feel like he gets much better in in um, the framing or the composition of his of his art to get across a sense of action, and he's really starting to to dial it in. Right. It takes him until a little bit into Dragon Ball, I think, for him to really get it to click. But he's getting closer. And especially in 1983, he takes on uh, Takashi Matsuyama as his assistant, who starts doing things like backgrounds. So the background art is also starting to resemble something like early Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah. Which I think makes it go a long way towards starting to feel like um, what we get later on. But his art style is still definitely evolving. I'd say um, late 1983 to 1984 is fairly similar. So we start to get really uh, more similar with uh, Tongpu versus this. But it's getting closer. There's one frame in particular. It's in the first chapter. It's when uh, they they hop on that hover bike thing. It's a it's a really weird framing. It feels like he's turning it to like get going in a different direction. Just the way that his head is tilted and the way he's turning it, something about that doesn't feel quite right to me. And that's the kind of thing that Toriyama will be an expert at in a few years' time, like being able to show you. Toriyama's anatomy never makes sense, but it but it always looks right. <laughs> in here, it, it, it doesn't look quite right yet. But he, he's definitely improving all the time. And I think especially while he professes to being constantly tired and going days without sleep somewhere along the line he's really just by the simple fact of having to do it yeah he's really getting good yeah it's a great opportunity for him as much as he probably doesn't want to be doing the extra work right now you know us in retrospect we know where he's going to go and i think it's very helpful for him to have uh, to have had this opportunity let's talk right. about dragon boy where else has it appeared uh dragon boy has been re-released quite a few times and i would say it's readily available these days if you just know which particular thing to go by uh so originally it was in monthly jump monthly fresh jump well even even then the original one was not monthly yet so but it was in fresh jump it was in fresh jump so i guess it's just yes. easy to say fresh jump it was in fresh jump you're probably not going to get those issues good luck <laughs> trying that right down. equally difficult to track down uh its first republication would be in birdland press which was toriyama's uh, official fan club newsletter of the time it was yes. reprinted in there along with many other things that indeed and it's interesting sometimes it got broken up into parts and because we don't have the actual issues because um they're very rare and when they do show up they're price of my children and i don't want to sell them <laughs> um <clears throat> Where was I? So we're, we're in the process of confirming specific issues and things like that. But the next few might be a little bit easier to track down. Right. So um, as you go through time, they get easier to pick up. So the next one would be the Dragon Ball uh, Adventure Special, the Boken Special. This was the yes. first guidebook for the Dragon Ball series before the Daizenshu existed. Uh, this was November 1987. This is one of those things they call a MOOC. It's not quite a magazine. It's not quite a book. It's kind of in between. It's published under yes. the same line of things. It doesn't sit in publication forever. It's kind of, you either got it or you didn't. Uh, an equivalent 
from the last couple of years would be that super start guide for Dragon Ball Super. If you can get it when it first came out, that was kind of it. But they're out there and they're not prohibitively expensive. But if you right. have it or you're looking to get it, uh, Dragon Ball and Tongpu are in there. And I think that's one of the the first, like that's a, this is a Dragon Ball book and we are explicitly labeling these as the precursors to Dragon Ball, like an, an official recognition of, yeah, right. th- this is where this came from. It's probably the first time to uh, as well. And they were recent at that point though right this is 1987 this was before uh his second volume of his one-shot collection came out right so they they hadn't been uh publicly reprinted except for his fan club at this point Mm. and um it's um kind of a way to get people into his previous things where maybe they've only seen dr slump and dragon ball Uh, and at this point dragon ball's into the piccolo arc it's really at this point it's hit its stride it's very popular um previous to this point it was really getting there in the red ribbon arc the red ribbon arc is where it really became one of jump's flagship titles Mm. but really hit with the the fans right around the time of the 21st tenkaichi budokai yeah that's a good point this would be the first kind of casual opportunity for people who didn't get fresh jump and weren't hardcore enough to be part of the the fan club they could just actually pick this up and read those prior works right but then we get into super mainstream repackagings of things things that are still available and as long as you can get books that are published in japan then you can get these so the first one is the second volume of akira toriyama's blank piece theater uh, or uh, Toriyama Akira Marusaku Gekijo, uh, which was released in 1988 and compiled a number of his early one-shots, both uh, some that were a little bit obscure, like today's Highlight Island was uh, in a seasonal extra issue of Jump, which maybe not a lot of people saw. It's one of the ones that didn't get much of a good response. Right. But then there was Escape, which was a couple pages. Escape uh, is adorable. One-off. It's so short, but it's so cute. Yep. And Pink, which was one of the early uh, works to show up in Fresh Jump. And um, that one is cute. It also has a few echoes of his unpublished one-shots, which we're not getting into here because it's beyond the scope of this episode. But maybe we'll get a talk, chance to talk about in the future. In the second volume, you're getting those. You're getting some other stuff. Uh, Kenosuke Sama's in there, Mr. Ho. Uh, but in this second volume of Blank Piece Theater, you get Dragon Boy and you get Tong Poo. Like everything you want. Just <laughs> all in one nice, easy collection. Right. And it's still at the point where Toriyama is actually making volume specific things to go in there. So there's little cartoons about his uh, journey to becoming a cartoonist, which we recently translated and put on the site. Yep. Um, so you've got that. And it's it's nice. It's nice to have if you if you can get it. I wish the uh, digital version that they put out included the color pages with some of these. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if they still have them. Toriyama often, often, especially once his children were born, would give them to color on. Right. He, he was never too concerned about preserving his preserving work his history. I know. Well, that's a, a a good point to make. Is that this this Tonko Bone version act is available digitally. So if you have the ability to purchase digital products from Japan, go about it that way. Uh, and this yes. this version was reprinted in 2003 under the... Was it Shonen Jump Remix? Shueisha Jump Remix? Yes. So that's a convenience store exclusive line that re-releases popular things in a more economical format. So the paper's not great, but you get uh, a decent chunk of his one-shots. It even included, I think, some of the early chapters of Nekomajin in there. Mm, yeah. Um, in, in three volumes, but that later got its own standalone release as well in 2005. But um, those ones are rarer because, again, they were only in convenience stores and not released for very long, but they're slightly larger than the Tonko Bone, and they also have some uh, extra information in the pages. And then finally, 
uh, we have um, the Emperor's Feast of Akira Toriyama, or Toriyama Akira Mankan Zenseki, which um, it was in the first volume of two. And this is a bunko format, which is smaller physically, but it collects uh, a number of, um, of Toriyama one-shots, including uh, Lady Red, which was in one of the first two Super Jump issues. And because Super Jump was aimed at uh, an older audience, he decided to uh, in, engage in some quote-unquote adult material that's problematic. It sure is a thing. Yes. <laughs> But anyway. Right. So it's available there. The one thing I will point out here, like you said, it's smaller. I would say the paper quality is more approaching Kanzenban than it is Tonkobone. Like it feels a little nicer. The The black is real nice on the page. Uh, the, yeah. The only issue here is that if you're looking to get Dragon Boy and Tongpu together, uh, you're not going to get them in the same volume. They are in two separate volumes here. Yeah. They don't bother going in chronological order. No, it's just whatever, whatever fits. So that's where Dragon Boy is available uh it's been referenced uh, occasionally uh daizen shoes it too the story guide touches on them uh it's got early, believe so early dragon ball works so again kind of like the adventure special uh the dragon ball guidebooks are pointing these two things out dragon boy and tongpu as yes this is where dragon ball came from these are uh, important pieces of dragon ball's history and we feel the same way so that's why we're we're kind of talking about him here only other thing i kind of want to mention in our uh, first part spectacular here is dragon boy has been referenced a few times in interviews over the years. Speaking of uh, Daizenshu, one of the first times it came up was in the Shenlong Times that accompanied the second Daizenshu. This is Toriyama and Torishima touching on uh, that that post-Starter Slump time period. Uh, what were those works? And this is where they're, they're kind of talking about what their, their spitball ideas are going to be. Do you want to play roles here? You get to be Toriyama. How about that? Okay. So I will be Kazuhiko Torishima and Julian will be taking on the role of Akira Toriyama. <clears throat> While we were thinking of what to do for the next serialized work after Dr. Slump ended, Toriyama drew various one-shots for a weekly jump and monthly fresh jump. I certainly did draw a lot of them. I had who knows how many painstaking meetings with Torishima-san. But the reception wasn't very good. Even though we had all those painstaking meetings. <laughs> then, after Dr. Slump ended, there was a good response to Dragon Boy, which had been drawn without too many meetings beforehand. And with that nice response, I felt, ah, there's this track, it just might work out. And this time, I had wanted a boy as the protagonist. And then, uh, Dragon Boy gets referenced again in uh, 2004 in the Dragon Ball Landmark interview. Uh, again, Julian, I guess you can take on the role of Toriyama here. What does he have to say about it? So, I was incredibly happy that Dr. Slump became popular, but at any rate, weekly serialization is hard. Coming up with material got more and more difficult. I was always wondering how I'd be able to end it. And then I was told... You can end it as long as you start a new serial three months after it's ended. So while drawing the end of Slump, I drew a Kung Fu one-shot, since I like Kung Fu movies, and I firmed up the material for Dragon Ball from there. I think that by nature I'm more inclined towards gag manga, but solely because it meant I wouldn't have to make each chapter self-contained, I decided to do story manga instead. And again, that, that's what we're talking about earlier with Dr. Slumper. is like, oh, I can't just do this self-contained. I have to come up with something. Ah, He just wants to do a continuous story. I think that works well for him. Uh, Dragon Boy gets referenced again many years later at this point in 2013. This was in uh, an interview in Men's Nonno magazine. What magazine is this? We've got a few interviews from it on the site. Yes, so Nonno is... is itself is like the magazine for the the young fashionable woman in in the workplace and uh, men's no no is the equivalent so for like the the young single business professional got it so he's reflecting on on his uh, past works at, around the time um that um 
Battle of Gods was doing the promotional thing for its home release. So he says, At the time, I loved Jackie Chan, and I'd watch videos of kung fu movies while I did my inking and such. Then Torishima-san came and said, In that case, draw a kung fu thing next. And I refused, because the things that I like and the things that I want to draw are different, so I don't want to. But in the end, he got his way. So to test things out, I drew a kung fu one-shot called Dragon Boy, and it was relatively popular, so I thought, well, looks like I just gotta do it. At first, I intended on using the setting of Journey to the West as is, so I made the ca main character a monkey. Torishima told me that a monkey was no good, so I drew Goku next. Except maybe because he was a little plain, there was the opinion that I should give him a bit of a defining characteristic, so I added a tail. And that gets into something we'll be talking about on the second part of our episode here on Dragon Ball Prototype Works. Uh, but then we have one more reference here, and this is from the Super History book in 2015. So again, you know, we go from uh, the early Dragon Ball guidebook to one of the most recent guidebooks. They're still talking about Dragon Boy. What does Toriyama say here? He says, To be exact, it's rooted in this one-shot called Dragon Boy that I did before Dragon Ball uh, started in serialization. I was stupid enough to mention to my editor, Torishima-san, how I constantly wanted, uh, watched Jackie Chan's Drunken Master and whatnot, so he told me, If you like it so much, you should draw something like that. <laughs> But drawings or liking something and wanting to draw it are two completely different things, so I didn't particularly want to do that. <laughs> he says the same thing over and over. He's quite consistent with his story here, and he, you said is, I, I like something, I don't want to draw that as what I'm doing for my job, because then I'm not going to like it anymore, because then I'm going to be half, then I have to do it. Uh, I've, I've certainly put myself in this position, haven't I? Pretty much. So here we are, 1983. Uh, Dr. Slump is still going for a little over a year at this point before it reaches its end. Uh, Dragon Boy has come and gone. We have one more Dragon Ball prototype work. We'll be covering that on the next episode of our two-part Dragon Ball prototype extravaganza. What are your final thoughts on Dragon Boy itself, though? I mean, we kind of talked about it where it just kind of ends and it feels like it, it could continue. His artwork is evolving. Uh, what do you feel like its legacy is here? Well, I think it gives us a clear indication of what Toriyama is capable of in terms of setting out something that is distinct from, uh, from Dr. Slump and has its yeah, own yeah. kind of character. Um, especially uh, the the environments that we see are very typical of early Dragon Ball. And I think that must have been really encouraging for Torishima in particular and thinking, we can go somewhere with this. I mean, at this point, he has done plenty of other one-shots. Do, do you feel like there's any relation to any of the prior works here in Dragon Ball? Yeah, it feels very separate from Dr. Slump, but do you feel any DNA from anything prior, like Polaroid or Madmatic or Pink even? Well, maybe slightly, but it, it's interesting to, interesting to track the evolution of his one-shots. They increasingly have coherent plots as they go on <laughs> yeah and also he starts using less and less like just cheap punny jokes although there are those as well yeah and more more situational humor the characters being oblivious to things that are important to their survival or the plot i feel like you i know, still um, see that the, the things we see with the princess here in dragon boy like I still see that in Jocko, even. Uh, Jocko feels yeah. like the modern equivalent of his one-shots from there, and I guess that makes sense, because it was its own self-contained story. And and I think very much he's refining his sense of humor, um, because early on it's very much, oh, this is silly, I'll, I'll throw it in. And much later he thinks, well, this is funny because this character is acting this way, and this one isn't paying attention to that. And so it's it's a lot more uh, involved in setting setting up a situation and making it pay off. 
where he doesn't do so much early on, but gets more and more proficient at as Dr. Slump goes on and also in his one-shots. And I think you're seeing that refining, refinement starting to pay off here. So that is Dragon Boy. Uh, we have something else later that same year. It, it's crazy. Dragon Ball isn't going to exist for a while, but we have one more prototype next time. And I don't know if it'll be next week because I'm still trying to arrange a GT episode, but uh, coming very soon in the near future, Julian, you and I, we will talk about the adventure of Tong Pu, which is a, a single self-contained chapter one shot. It's 45 pages, so it, it's a good length. Yes. In and of itself. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll do all the same kind of thing. We'll do it manga review of awesome style. We'll give you a recap and we'll talk about the art and some of the parallels to later things. And then to truly wrap up Dragon Ball prototypes, the actual drafts themselves for what was to become Dragon Ball, not just doing a one shot that would lead the way to it, but the things that he was drawing and writing that was intended to be what we would see later in 1984. I'm very excited to cover this. Uh, we've seen a lot of these designs over the years, but I feel like no one's really dove into what's available to us. And as we were working on these sections, we're like, oh my God, this is cool. Oh my God, this is cool. Oh, he said this. Oh, we're learning so many things. And I, I love it. I'm glad we can uh, have this all together. So next time yeah. you hear from us, you're going to hear about Tong Pu, you're going to hear about those drafts, and we're going to have an entire new translation to go up uh, on the site that we're pulling from, and then all the manga guide pages for all of this will be going up then. So uh, hopefully in the next week or two, you can look forward to that. I'm very excited for that. So uh, give us a little tease. What's on the horizon for Tong Pu? Oh, well, there's going to be some very familiar things if you're a Dragon Ball fan. You've got alien planets and convenient storage mechanisms and even some very familiar antics within a house. All right, so that's going to bring our episode here to a close. What was this? Episode 440? Something like that? Yeah, episode, man, episode 440 of our podcast here at Konzenshu. Uh, truly excited for the, the future of the site. We've got lots of things in the hopper. Uh, this is just one of the many things we have going on right now. I'm, I'm so excited to bring it forward. Man, www.kanzenshu.com. That is Konzenshu. That is the website proper. Of course, there's all the social media. There's the forum. There's all that jazz find myself there you can find julian there and then there's heath and jake as well we are all there on the consent shoes uh what else do you think man i think that's good i think that is good so that brings it to a close we will see you next time whether it be for gt whether it be for tong Pu, or whether it be for something else entirely it all depends on schedules and availability as it tends to yes. be see you next time